If Bergen kids, if you guys are in the room, you can head out the back hallway. Uh, and if you guys could just kind of squeeze in, uh, if there are chairs in the middle in between you all, that'd be great. Uh, just to make room for people that are standing in the back uh, <clears throat> to sit on the fringe. Uh, good. Well, I hope you all uh, had, a, had a good time with family, friends, wherever you all were, whatever you were doing. Um, but um, yeah, Jim, I, yeah, yeah, good, good, keep, keep moving in. Um, but here's, here's what I just want to do before we launch in. I always want to try to be just super aware of who is here, uh, who's in our audience, and, and who is uh, present with us, and I um, also want to just be aware of the feelings and emotions that, that come around these times of, of years. Um, you know, Thanksgiving uh, can be a phenomenal time, a uh, time of great thanks and family and friends, but, but if you've been... Uh, around long enough, you know, that sometimes it's anything but a time of giving thanks. Uh, some of you guys are coming in this morning and you're just like, it was the worst week of your life. Uh, all it was was arguments and bickering and, and uh, disagreement and anything but focused on uh, all that we have to be grateful for. So here's what I, what I want to do because I'm, I'm kind of in, in both of those uh, camps with you. So uh, what I want to do is, and I apologize for my voice, it's like I woke up this morning uh, not feeling totally hot, so totally well. I don't know. What, I don't know what the I don't know what the appropriate word is, but I did not feel totally well. So, so here, let, let's pray. Uh, so, anyways, here's what I want to do. I want us to just take a minute before we before we uh, get started, just to uh, first, if you're a Christian, uh, if you know Jesus, uh, you have something to be deeply grateful for, regardless of circumstance or how your holiday was, uh, all the time, right? I mean, he paid your deepest debt. Uh, he saved and freed you from your deepest, darkest, secret sins uh, and gave you life and newness in Christ. So I want us just to take some time just to thank him. Uh, just you, just you and him. Find some things to thank him for before we kind of dive in this morning. Just to kind of maybe set your heart in a better place, your mind in a better place. Uh, be grateful for uh, maybe it's just his provision. Maybe it's just family. Maybe it is uh, that despite of all that, that you know him, that you're loved by him. Um, so let's just take a minute just to enjoy God, uh, to enjoy his good gifts that are infinite and immeasurable. Just thank Jesus for himself. We get to participate in glory. Maybe thank him for, that he died for imperfect families. God, we just give you thanks. You rightly deserve thanks endlessly. So God, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for kindness. Thank you for bearing with us and being long-suffering when we don't deserve it. God, thank you for laying out a table of full forgiveness for us to eat at when we don't deserve it. God, thank you for giving us your son when we didn't deserve him. We're not looking for him. We're not chasing after him. But in rebellion, we're running away from him. God, thank you for all that we have. God, thank you that we can gather like this. What a luxury. God, that can be overlooked so easily. Thank you that we can read your word openly, that we can study it, that we can meditate on it, that we can sit under the preach word, that we can sing songs with brothers and sisters that love you. God, we don't want to take these things for granted, so thank you. 
God, thank you for building up your church. Thank you for establishing this church and your church all over this world. God, thank you for your continued faithfulness to your bride, that when we are faithless, you remain faithful. God, we need you this morning. We need to hear from you. We need eyes to see and ears to hear. God, there's nothing in us that can cause us to do that. So we ask you to come and to move and to be kind to us in that way. Teach us this morning, Father, especially amidst a seemingly uh, strange passage. God, I pray we'd see some, some great things for our joy and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, uh, if you have your Bible, go to Luke chapter 7. We're going to finish Luke 7 this morning. Um, we're going through the Gospel of Luke. If you're visiting, we're just super glad that you're here. Thankful that you get to just join us to uh, walk in grace with us as we learn and study uh, all these great teachings of Jesus. And uh, we come to a particular passage this morning that is... Um, Really, really kind of fun and really kind of unusual. And so it's going to deal with John the Baptist. John the Baptist is going to pop back up on the scene. And John the Baptist is the guy, if you remember back in chapters 1, 2, and 3, he was the guy who kind of was paving the way from the side. He was the prophesied prophet who was going to be the forerunner to the Messiah who would come and, and basically bring back uh, light amidst a dark world. He was going to redeem the fracture that happened post-Genesis 3. And so um, this is who John the Baptist was supposed to pave the way for was, was Jesus who is the Messiah. Now you remember. Zechariah, uh, his dad, he was the guy who went in uh, to the temple and he was told he was going to have this child. They thought they were too old, they couldn't have children and so God mutes his mouth and he's mute until he has the child and he just starts singing praise and he starts prophesying even more how this Messiah that will come, will come to bring about light amidst a dark world. So understand that the Jewish people of the day, the, the people of Israel, they were longing for this, okay? They, all throughout Old Testament history, they knew and they understood that, man, we need some po something positive to happen. We need some sort of light to break through the darkness. Why? Because they were in exile, out of exile, uh, under oppressive kings, under good kings. It was just back and forth, back and forth. So when Jesus enters the scene, when Jesus is born at Christmas morning in Luke 2, they think that he's going to come to establish his reign and rule fully on the kingdom of earth. They think that he is going to overthrow the Roman government and set up peace, but he ends up not kind of doing and being who they thought he would be and what he would do. And so here's what you're going to see. You're going to see John the Baptist kind of fall in line with that thinking of uh, unmet expectations and maybe personal circumstances not going the way that he thought, which leads him to doubt that Jesus was in fact the one to come. Um, and we're just going to see what God might, might teach us in that. So, so understand, throughout history, any oh, time the, the God of the Bible wants to get a message across, whether to a nation, to a government, to a people, he almost always sent a prophet. So here John the Baptist comes to announce the greatest Thing in human history, the greatest announcement, the king's coming. He's going to redeem the world and, and, and remake what was fractured and what was broken. He's going to recreate, make all things new ultimately one day, but even temporarily as he establishes his kingdom here on the earth. And so uh, he sends John the Baptist, and this morning we come to a section in Luke that I think uh, a lot of us can relate to. Uh, it, it deals with doubt and belief. Um, so, so anyway, if you're in this room and you're like, I never doubt. I'm awesome. Well, that's great. You're going to doubt eventually. Or you're going to have periods of doubt. And maybe some of you here are just seeking. Okay, you're just interested. You're just kind of curious about the things of God. You're genuinely seeking after truth. Uh, that's great. You've got doubts you're working through. Some of you guys maybe are unbelieving doubters. And what that means is uh, maybe you don't even really want an answer from anything. You just jump from system to system and idea to idea. And no matter how many things are laid before you, know, how much evidence is placed in your lap, you, you refuse to believe because you just don't want to believe. So there's a lot of different types of people in this room. And I think uh, the message or the, the passage we're in this morning might uh, help us shed some light. So remember, 
Um, this, is, this is in no way comprehensive. So if you think I'm giving a sermon on doubt, that's not what I'm doing. I'm preaching the text. What I always try to do is just preach the passage. It just happens to involve that. And so we're going to look at that and see what uh, he might say. So before we jump in, just, just know that you're in really good company uh, if you struggle with doubt. Um, your pastor struggles with doubt. Uh, not unbelieving doubt, but just God is, is your character what I think it is. Do you really love me? Have you abandoned me? I mean, there, there's, those thoughts go through my head, right? Um, you've, got, you've got Abraham, you've got Gideon, you've got Elijah, you've got godly men and women who doubt throughout Scripture. I mean, you've got the disciples. I mean, before the resurrection, they doubt. They doubt after. I'm going, you idiots. Like, you are seeing the risen Christ. You're still doubting? You have people that are, it's, it's a very familiar place to be, Jeremiah, everybody. And, and Zechariah, this is what's interesting. I don't know if this is just generational for John, but remember his dad was very doubtful in chapter 1. Here's what we're going to see, verse 18. We're going to jump in and we're going to uh, look at this passage that, that brings a, a lot of stuff together. And the disciples of John reported these things to him. And remember, we just finished how all these miracles, all these teachings, Jesus raised the widow's son back to life. Uh, Jesus was casting out demons. Jesus was traveling around the surrounding areas. So this news was going everywhere. Okay, everybody was hearing about this Jesus who was healing and doing things that just some ordinary prophet never did. Okay, so this news is traveling, and, and these people, these disciples of John, report these things to John. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, that's Jesus, saying... Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Bold thing to say to Jesus. And when the men came, had come to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or should we look for another? <laughs> okay, so understand, just, just so you know, the reason that these people are bringing information to John, and the reason that he's sending people, some of you guys are going, why didn't he go by himself? Well, if you look at Matthew's account, Matthew 11, he's in prison. He's in prison because uh, he called out um, Herod of Antipas for uh, basically uh, seducing his brother's wife and marrying her, and he's eventually going to have his head on a platter because Herod the Great, or Herod Antipas's uh, wife wants his head on a platter. So he's in prison, not a good season of life, not a good time of living. He's alone. He's got no real firsthand information. He's kind of wondering what's going on out there. So, so the disciples are bringing this news back to John periodically, letting him know about Jesus and what's happening. Okay, now, now, there are kind of two different categories of disciples of John, because that seems like something weird to kind of see on the screen if you're like me. So there's two. One is there were disciples of John that were like just loyal friends who actually totally missed the boat that he was to point to Jesus. So they're still following John as if like he's the Messiah and he's kind of the guy to set up shop. And so you'll, you'll get to Acts 19, you'll have Paul in Ephesus, you'll have disciples of John, they're going, I haven't even heard of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so these are guys who just totally missed the boat. They missed John in John 3 when he goes, hey, I need to decrease because he must increase, right? I'm going to fade to black. There's a better one coming. His name's Jesus. They missed that boat. I don't know how it happened, but they're just kind of the, the kindergarten of the disciples, okay? They, they missed that thing all together. So they're still following John, right? Like little kids saying, hey, you're the big deal. He's going, I'm not the big deal. Jesus is. So you have, you have those disciples, but then you have other disciples that were just really loyal friends, they're friends who would go and follow Jesus and, and see Jesus' miracles and teachings and come back and confirm with John that he really is the Messiah, that he really is the chosen one. So I think those are the disciples that you're going to see here coming back and reporting to John. And so um, John's been in prison for months. He hasn't seen or heard anything. He's been alone. And he's beginning to doubt who Jesus is. You got to feel with John, right? I mean, he, he's just been, I mean, this is months. So, you know when you're alone, how like every type of thought comes into your head, 
right? You know that, even for like 10 minutes. Okay, this is months wasting away in a prison cell, most likely knowing that his head will be on a platter. I mean, this is, this is not a good situation for John. And so he's sitting here, he's starting to doubt. As news is traveling around, they're all bringing these questions. And, and here is a question he has. And here's the thing. The question that John has about Jesus is one that he knows intellectually, and he's confessed it verbally. Okay? Are you the coming one? Listen, guys, this was the guy who said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Like he, he professed, he's the one at the baptism of Jesus who, who actually witnesses God the Father saying, hey, this is my son, I'm pleased with him. He watches the Holy Spirit descend like a dove. Like this isn't some guy like popping in the scene. This is a, a prophet. This is a guy who grew up in a household where they probably talked about Jesus and prophecies all the time. <laughs> Guys, this is a man who you would never think would doubt Jesus that he would be the coming Messiah. Let me just say this. Doubt can be a great place to start. It's just not a great place to end. Right? So, so it's the process through that of what you do with your doubts as you consider and think about who and what Jesus is. So, so here is a guy who, does he believe his own question? Yeah, I think he does. Does he have all the evidence? Yeah, absolutely. If there's anyone who has all the evidence, it's him. And yet, somehow, he believed, but he was doubting, and doubt was growing on the fringes of his faith, right? So he calls two disciples. That's because in Deuteronomy 19, they say, hey, you really want a good witness, have two or three witnesses go. That's why Jesus sends everybody out in twos. Okay, so he says, hey, you two go out, so both of you come back with the same story, and this is what I want you to ask Jesus. Hey, are you, the, are you, are you really legit? Like, are you really the Messiah who's supposed to come, the promised one, when sin entered the world? Are you really the redeemer, the restorer, the remaker of all that went bad? Is that you? If not, then I'm, I want to keep my head on my body, <laughs> right? I mean, I, I really want to make sure that you're the Christ. I really want to make sure that this is, this is for real. Are you the Messiah? Are you the one who the Old Testament promised would come? So John sends two men 80 miles to go to Galilee and ask Jesus this question. He really wanted to know, right? Now, at this point, if, if you're like me, and I kind of alluded to this, you're going... Why is, listen, I understand people in general asking and questioning, is he the Messiah? Is he really the, the promised one? But, but why is John the Baptist asking this? Like, like out of anyone we've read in the Gospel of Luke, he's the guy that has every reason to validate that claim. Like it just doesn't make sense. Right? It doesn't make logical sense that out of anybody who's going to send people to ask him if he's a Christ, it's the guy who was paving the way, the forerunner to the Messiah, the prophet of God, announcing and declaring and affirming and seeing this already happen. I'm going, I can't, I can't believe John the Baptist is going to second guess the Messiah. What an idiot. Right? That's what we say. Right? What an idiot. I mean, if I, how many times have we said, man, if I was with Jesus and I saw the resurrection... Doubting Thomas, what an idiot. He needed his hands. I mean, look at him. Yeah. No, you would too. You'd probably run out of the room. You'd probably ask for him to do a circus show. and Right? I mean, no, no difference. So here's a spirit-filled man struggling, going, man, I don't know. Should I look for somebody else? Am I following the wrong guy? Did I, like, just give my life to a lie? Did I just preach sermons about his winnowing fork? In chapter 3, 
and what he'll come to do as a justifying judge. Was that all just a lie? I think there's a couple reasons at this point that are causing him to doubt. I think, I think there are a number. I'm just going to give you guys two that I see right here. And I hope these can relate to you or tap on your heart in some way. Uh, one's just his personal circumstance. Um, he's in prison. He's alone. He's been there for months. And he's thinking, this is what I get for following Jesus? Hold on a second. I saw this movie reel playing out differently, right? I mean, dude, I, was, I, was, I preached repentance Man, I was the fire and brimstone guy, right? I mean, he's the guy who let it unleash. He wasn't like the nice, fuzzy, seeker-sensitive guy. He was the guy who just dumped it out. Hey, you're going to hell, you're going to hell, you're going to hell. Hey, repent, okay? Like, he's come with a winnowing fork. That, that was John. Like, he, kind of merciless, okay? He just, he just loved just preaching that truth. That was John. I mean, he was faithful. And, and I think as these circumstances happened, he began to think, look at all I've done for you, Jesus. How faithful I've been to you. And this is what I get? A seller for months hearing information about you? You know, this can happen to faithful people, right? Um, because when you're in sin and life goes bad, like at least you have enough integrity to go, well, of course my life's going bad. I'm just in sin, right? When you live faithful and you think God owes you something and life doesn't pan out the way that you thought it should, then you get angry and you shake your fist at the heavens, Right? I mean, here we're seeing he lived faithfully, so he expected reward. And so doubt's really natural when we live a life to where we think God's obligated to give us ease, give us comfort, provide, do this and that because of how you're living. Okay, here's what's crazy about that. You're now living antithesis to the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? Because the gospel says you didn't owe anything to start with, and then he gave you everything in him, so why are you still trying to earn what's been freely given? So you're on this weird system of belief where you've already been given grace, given kindness, given riches in Christ. We talked to you about the book of Ephesians, right? And now you're somehow forgetting what he already gave you. And based on your performance and what you're doing, you're thinking he still deserves something. He's going, but look at what I already gave you. And you didn't earn that. It had nothing to do with your walk. It had nothing to do with your preaching. It had nothing to do with your circumstance or how you lived or how you acted. It was all my grace, my unmerited favor, right? So, so amazing here. We see this, this idea start to unfold Throughout the scriptures, you're going to see people who follow Jesus faithfully. It usually didn't end well this side of heaven. <laughs> so how are they supposed to make sense of that? So right now, John, I think one, in one sense he's going, my circumstances don't make sense according to Jesus. The other thing I think, and the other reason this kind of goes hand in hand, is just unmet expectations. Um, quickly, what are your expectations in following Jesus? Just, just answer it honestly in your head. Like, what do you think that means for you? Like, is there any part of you that, okay, if I give myself to this guy, if I surrender my life, if he's Lord and Savior, King, Rescue, Redeemer, all, all the above, and I jump in this thing, I mean, is your first thought, hey, what, what do I get? And you kind of have your list on the side. It might not be vocally, but you got it. In your bedroom, you got the list. Mm, I want this job. I want that husband, I want this thing to work out, I want the family to change this way, I, right? And he becomes your cosmic vendor that you just put the money in and he just spits out what you want, right? I mean, it's just, so what are your expectations? Because here's what John is feeling. Um, 
John is, is sitting here, and this is how this translates to John. John was in a line of people throughout the Old Testament saying, hey, a prophet's going to come, and this prophet's going to prophesy that this Messiah is to come. And so there were always prophets sent after prophets sent after prophets sent. So here as John is kind of in that line, remember, John's limited in his view. Jesus hadn't died, Jesus hadn't rose, Jesus hadn't ascended. In fact, John's actually going to have his head on a platter before the death and resurrection even happens. Like, John's not even going to get to see the cross of Christ. Okay? So, so, so he's limited in revelation. He doesn't have the, the full picture, the full view. So here's what's starting to happen. He's going, hold on a second. I mean, if you're really the Messiah, I mean, I thought the Messiah was going to set up shop and bring peace and just create vengeance on his people and he's going to rule and reign. And how come you're not doing that? What is the other thing that John's thinking about? What is one of the things in Isaiah that says this Messiah will do? Set the prisoner free. I think John's sitting there going, hey, you're, if you're the Messiah, you're supposed to set the prisoner free and I'm in prison and you have no thought about me. Right, so all these expectations are, I think, channeling up in John's mind of, okay, this is what the Messiah is supposed to do, this is how it's supposed to look, and it's not happening the way I want it to look, my expectations are ruined, and so I'm going to doubt who you are. That's his answer. It's just God's not doing what he wants or what he likes. God's not operating the way that he thinks the God of the universe should operate. And so doubt starts to creep in. I mean, I think any of us can kind of put ourselves in these shoes, right? He's thinking, where, where's the throne of David you're going to set up? Where's the, where's the Messiah's axe that's supposed to come down? You're healing people. Show mercy to everybody. And compassion. Where's your winnowing fork? And, and, and unmet expectations, he begins to doubt. See, you guys understand that the message of this is not that God is going to bring you in a relationship with himself and then change everything you don't like. like, like it's nowhere in here. Like, like the message of this is that, that God's going to give you something then better, of all, then better than all those things, which is himself, right? Which is relationship with him, which is reconciliation with God, which is forgiveness of your sin, which is making you a co-heir with Christ. And see, Jesus never promised that if you follow him, like him, enjoy him, that somehow you're going to be healthy, that somehow everything's going to work out for you, that somehow in your job you're going to be automatically successful. He doesn't promise you any of those things. He doesn't promise you a family of five, family of two, family of six. He doesn't promise you a bank account that increases, decreases. Now listen, can God do any of those things? Absolutely. Should we crowd to God for healing and for protection and for provision? Absolutely. But do we shake our fist at God when he doesn't provide the way we think we should? No, absolutely not. That's just an expectation you have. So when we have illegitimate expectations, guys, and God doesn't deliver on what you think he owes you, you're now jumping into a false system of belief that then begins to deteriorate your faith. This has really hit home for me. And I could sit here and just list out for you expectations I didn't even realize I had. And when God doesn't come through, I start to doubt his character Start to doubt who he is. Are you really faithful? Are you really generous? Do you really care about me? Do you even notice me? Right? Sinful thoughts, guys. But they're real. Right? I'm a human. You're a human. John the Baptist is a human. Jeremiah was a human. Abraham was a human. 
And so all of a sudden these things start to creep in. The goal is never, never those things. And so, because um, I, I just, I hear all the time too, especially right now, okay, if, if God exists and he really loves people, then why doesn't he do anything about everything that we see? Like if there's all this wars and crime and hating and killing, I mean, if God really loves this world, if he really loves people, why doesn't he do anything? Right? He absolutely will. The scriptures say absolutely he will have full justice on the earth. He will fully do away with all wickedness and he will establish his rule and reign. And maybe you just don't like that. Maybe you want it now. Well, I don't know. That's not how God's operating. And the fact that God is even letting wickedness to participate now is an act of grace. So they go, he's not gracious. He's not loving. I mean, the fact that letting him live is loving. The fact that God lets any sort of heinous act continue being patient so that they might be brought to repentance is an act of unfathomable grace. Right? I mean, people abuse him and, and ridicule his name every single day. Do you not see that as gracious and loving and kind? And so, so listen, God is, yes, kind, yes, and, and he will fully do what he is intended to do in his scope of all things standing outside of time. Remember I said last week, you've got to get out of your head that time is not something he knows, it's a place he is, okay? So God stands in the future. It's not just, hey, I'm not quite sure what's going to happen there, how it's going to pan out. He's already there. He's already creating. He's already helping it come to fruition. That's the God we serve in full authority. And so it's good to be one of his children. It's good to be one of his sons and daughters. It's good to enjoy that type of rule and reign and sovereign will. And so look how John here handles his doubt. Because I think this is huge. Because here's the worst thing you can do when you doubt. To keep it to yourself. And you shouldn't just keep it to yourself. You should take it to, first and foremost, Jesus. Listen, if you had, like, doubts about me, or wouldn't you just bring it to me? Are, are you this? Is this your social security number? Is this when you were born? Is this how many kids you have? Are you really Kristen's husband? Right? I mean, you just you, you bring those doubts to me, right? And so he brings them to Jesus. And here's what's amazing as I was, as I was reading this is John knows the only person who can resolve his questioning, struggling heart is Jesus. And so here's what I want to tell you before we dive into this is, Learn to doubt your doubts. Like, you know how many people I meet, I'll sit down with, we'll be in counseling, I'm like, but, but, okay, I hear your doubt, totally legit, but have you ever doubted your doubt? Oh, no, no, no. Well, that's weird. It's illogical. If you doubt everything else, I mean, can't you learn to doubt your own doubt? And have enough intellectual honesty to go after what you think is fallacy to see if it's really true with as much energy and so we learn to doubt our doubts. And this is John just going, Jesus, help me. Jesus, help me. He's a believer. He knows God. He's saved by grace. He's saved by the future work of the cross. And he's going, Jesus, help me. Help me. I'm struggling. I'm struggling here. I'm alone. I've got unmet expectations. I've got personal circumstances that are causing me to, to doubt who you are. So I'm going to send these two people. Will you please just reaffirm who you are? Will you remind me of what's true? See that in John? Okay. Look how Jesus responds, verse 21. He didn't say anything. This is so Jesus, right? In that hour he healed many people, diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind and bestowed sight. So, so they ask and they tap him on the shoulder and go, hey, Jesus, hey, our boy John wants to know if you're really the Christ, you know, if you're really the Son of God, if you're really the Messiah, really the Redeemer. 
and he goes, hey, hold on a second. And then he just launches into the most incredible supernatural show anyone has ever seen. Hold on, hold on, hold on, stop. Boom, boom, boom. I mean, just healing, raising the dead, giving sight. Just incredible, right? And then he answers them. Maybe it took about an hour. It says, in that hour. And he answered them, go and tell John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. So after Jesus unleashes this immediate, instantaneous, massive display of supernatural power, he looks over and says, hey, go tell them what you saw and what you heard today. No, no, Jesus, we asked if you were the coming one. <laughs> no, no, just... Go tell them what you've seen. And he just gives a list. He just pulls a bunch of prophecies out of Isaiah. Because he knows that John knows them. He knows that John has heard these things. And here's the thing. These things, right, we've been studying them. You're going, why is he doing that? He's been doing that for seven chapters. Well, that was normal to Jesus' life and ministry, but this was not normal to John and to his messengers. And so here's what we're going to see him start to reveal after this. And, and just understand, man, the Pharisees asked Jesus to do this all the time. And he never did it. You want to know why? Because they didn't really care. That wasn't the goal. They had unbelief. They didn't have genuine questions. They weren't genuinely seeking to see if Jesus was who he said he was. So he, goes, he just rebukes them. But the honest guy, the humble guy who approaches him and says, hey, Hey, are you who you say you are? He sees that in, in John and says, let me, let me show you about the kingdom. Let me show you that I am the king and that the kingdom has been enacted, that I am here, and that, that, that things that have been prophesied that will happen when the king comes are happening because I am God. So God is present among you just like the prophet Isaiah said. And so you're, you're seeing witnesses of that. You're seeing evidences of that roll out here. So what he's showing them is, hey, go tell John that everything Isaiah promised would happen when God was among you is happening because I am God and I'm among you. That's why he gives them this massive display. of, And that's why he says, tell them the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor of good news preach to them. That's why he lists it out. You know, if you have your, your Bible, look at just two places, Isaiah 35 and Isaiah 61. Look at where you see these two things. I want you to see the one thing that Jesus doesn't mention to John. Look at Isaiah 35, okay? Isaiah 35 is talking about these messianic promises. And you have kind of the, what it'll look like in the, in the first couple verses. That can be future. It also is evidence present with Jesus. And then look at what you have in verse 5. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped, then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams of the desert. He's going, hey, all these things that Isaiah prophesied would happen are happening right now. Because a king is in your midst. Like the kingdom is being enacted. Not in its fullness, not when he comes back with just vengeance fully, but even now with resurrective healing power. This is incredible. Go to Isaiah 61. This is the main one. I'm sure John's thinking about this. This is the, the sermon that Jesus preached back in Luke chapter 4. 
The Spirit of God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives. And look, to open of the prison those who are bound. Notice what Jesus doesn't say to go tell John. He gives him everything except the one thing John wanted because he knew it was an expectation of John. He doesn't say, yeah, he's releasing the prisoners. He's going, John, don't you get it? Like, this whole thing that I'm about isn't about, like, your dream and your wants and how you think things should be. Like, I'm doing what the Father's asked me to do. I am rescuing sinful humanity. And I know that you have an unmet expectation thinking the Messiah would come and bust you out of that prison cell. And that's not my priority. And are you okay with that? Wow. Yeah. Wow. I don't know what I'd do. But he's getting at why John wants certain things. And he's, he's uncovering why John is beginning to doubt. But he's also giving evidence that he is who he says he was. In other words, you don't just believe in me, John, because I rescue you from prison. You believe in me because I am who I say I am. Because I've demonstrated that. And you can't ignore that. And I'm evidencing that right now. So go tell John what you've seen and heard. Powerful. Profound. I mean, maybe some of you guys in this room are going, man, no, I want Jesus to answer this. He's going, okay, I hear that prayer. And I'm at work. Will you trust me? Is your belief in me indicative on what I give you or what you think I owe you? Or is, you, is your belief in me because I am who I say I am? Because I am the one. I am the chosen one. I am the one that came to redeem and rescue fallen sinful humanity and f- fix the fracture from the fall. And I, I've done that in you. I've done that in your heart. I've been doing that in other places. Like it really gets at the goal of your heart, right, what you want. Because the goal is never those things. The goal is Jesus. I want him. I want him, and if I have him, then if I stay in this prison cell and I end up getting my head lost, I'm okay. Because I have Christ. It's not that, if only indicative if he lets me out and fulfills Isaiah 61 the way I think. Remember, we saw in Jesus' sermon, he was showing, hey, it's not just literally freeing the prisoner, it's freeing prisoners from sin. Like, John, you're kind of misreading that whole thing. Like, I'm not just talking about you, I'm talking about people who are imprisoned, enslaved to sin, I'm going to set them free. That's much more important than just doing that for you. I've already set him free from sin. So John's deepest need has already been met, so he doesn't really need to be freed from prison. And Jesus is going, I'm doing what is deeply necessary, deeply important, deeply valuable. He's just kind of weighing scales for John. Amazing, amazing. So I love how he puts in there, hey, blessed is the one who's not offended by me. (laughs) Jesus knows and reaches John, he's probably going to be offended. Hey, don't let unmet expectations and personal circumstance keep you, make you stumble over me. John, you'll be blessed if you believe this. I am who I say I am. Keep believing, keep trusting, keep seeing me. Right? Hang on. 
It's a message of compassion and comfort and mercy. What was promised is being on display right now. Hey, go tell John the kingdom of God that, that he wants, that he's not sure is happening. It's happening right now. Look at verse 24. All the messengers leave. Jesus begins to speak to the crowds concerning John. Right, conversation naturally now turns to John. Trust me, after they leave, everybody there is going, hmm, I wonder what Jesus thinks of John. He was just doubting him. Does he still like him? Is he cool? Is he good? Is he unfaithful now? Does he lose his salvation? Right, look. Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury in the king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written. And then Jesus just quotes Malachi. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. That's a weird last sentence. Okay, let's, let's, let's push above that, okay, before you kind of stick there, because that's what, what I did. So after the messengers leave, the crowds likely overhear this conversation, and now what are they interested in? They're like, ooh, what's your opinion of John? What do you think of John? Now, because there were crazy rumors going around about John. Theologians were teaching that he was a demon-possessed man, okay? Here's this crazy guy, frizzy hair, eats locusts, you know, he just looks weird, looks homeless, looks, ah, I just don't want to be near him, right? But he's preaching this crazy message that I want to go 80 miles into the wilderness to listen to. And so he's going, okay, concerning John, because I know you're all probably wondering right now, maybe some of you overheard that conversation, maybe some are wondering what I think about him. And you know what's amazing? Jesus doesn't bash John. He doesn't go, oh, can you believe he doubted? Did you hear the stuff they were asking? He defends John. He defends John. Because you know John has genuine belief. And so as they're going, what do you think about John? What's your opinion of John? Because John's the, the topic of conversation. I love what Jesus says. He goes, hey, when John preached, this is so Jesus again, I love it. When John preached, hey, where'd you go to go see him? The synagogue? With AC? Right, pretty walls, right? Where'd you go? You walked over 60 miles into the wilderness to listen to some dude preach. Did, did you, okay, so listen, anybody, look, first, if you can pull a crowd in the wilderness, you need to be preaching, okay? Like, if you can stand out in the middle of the desert and you got crowds gathering to hear you, listen, if you're wondering if that's your gift, that's your gift, okay? Go preach, okay? So, so here, here's, what, here's what you're seeing. He's going, did you go all the way out to the wilderness to hear a guy who was just a reed shaken by the wind, just a pushover? A guy, did you go out to hear some guy you didn't think actually had the message of God? Like, why else would you have done that? Like, you knew he was honest. That's what drew you to him. He didn't show up in a new suit every week. He wasn't in luxury, fine clothes. in that weird garb you guys always talked about with frizzy hair, and he looked almost demonic. I get it why you thought he was, but he wasn't, right? He was honest, Holy Spirit-filled man, and he is preaching a message that was so attractive to you in the sense of you knew it was true that you would go out and listen to him. So, so he's just going, hold on a second. You guys know John. You were there. You listened to John. He's turning. Jesus is now turning his gaze to those who are criticizing John. And he's going, why else would you have done that if you didn't think he was a prophet? Why else would you stood out there and listen to his message if you thought he was a crock or a pushover? Or... And so he's just, and then he goes, yeah, and yeah, he was a prophet. And more than a prophet because, hey, he's the only prophet that has been prophesied about. That's why he's more than a prophet. And then he makes this 
seemingly outlandish claim. Oh yeah, and he's the greatest man who's ever lived. What? He's in prison. He's the greatest man who ever... His greatness, guys, was tied to the greatness of his calling. I mean, no other person in human history was given the privilege to announce the coming advent of the king of the universe. That, that's the most undeserved privilege anyone could have. So he is, he is great, not because he was intrinsically great, not because he had some great vision for his life. or No, because he was just faithful to God's calling on his life. That's what true greatness is. Just walking in glad, humble submission to God. How do you measure it? What a great model for us, right? Just being faithful where you are. He goes, no, it's not about me making plans, do what I want to do. It's what God has called and commanded me to do. It's what God has asked me to do. So if you're a teacher, if you're a coworker, if you're a street sweeper, if you're a janitor, if you're a construction builder, if you're a, hey, just be faithful. There's true greatness there because of the person who's calling you to do it. It's not because jobs are intrinsically great or bad or of lesser value. It's because of the one who's placed you there. There's greatness in your calling because the God of the universe is not making a mistake and going, no, you're the one who's supposed to be there. I, can you find great comfort in that maybe this morning as we see this from John? And then verse 28, just look at it because I know all of you are staring at it. Let me just quickly mention this. Yet the one who's least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Um, I read a lot of different commentaries on this. And do you guys know what that means? I have no idea either. Yeah, I have, I have no idea. Honestly, and I'm just going to give you the one that I think is most compelling. I'm not convinced, but let me just, and then you guys can go study and probably write me your emails, tell me what it means. So the most compelling one I found, that he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he, is yes, there is no greater unprecedented honor than announcing the coming Messiah, Okay? But I think what Jesus is then foreshadowing and showing is that, but even beyond that, there is no greater honor than being adopted into God's family and having membership in the kingdom. Like, like even the least there is, we're made co-heirs with Christ. I mean, through the cross, death, resurrection of Jesus, he makes what is not valuable, right, sinful, stained, right, running from God, he makes it the righteousness of Christ, his very son. He takes all your sin and puts it away and says, hey, God, here is Jesus. Here is the righteousness of my son. And he goes, hey, that is of infinite value. I mean, even the the least in that kingdom is better than John because there's no bars to even measure that. I mean, he, he's, he's getting at here this whole idea that earthly rankings and honor are utterly irrelevant when it comes to the kingdom of God. Right, we're, all, we're all saved by grace. It's not, oh, you're a better Christian, less Christian. No, we're all saved by grace. We all get to look at Jesus and go, man, we've all been rescued. We've all been ransomed. We, so even the least in that kingdom is, better, is greater than John in that sense. I don't know. Go study, right? That's, that's what that said. So let's keep going. A couple responses. Verse 29. We're going to. Land the plane here. When all the people heard this, the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, having not been baptized by him. He's just, Luke's very simply showing, as, as John continued this line of Old Testament prophets, their unifying message was the same. God is holy, God is just, God is gracious. 
God is kind, repent, turn from your sin. And you know the people that actually were listening and participating in the baptism of John and confessing their sins and repenting and turning to the future Christ on the cross? You know who's doing that? Tax collectors, the crooks, the fornicators, the liars. You know what the religious leaders were doing? No, you can't call me out on my sin. That's for them. Right? I mean, that message of repentance for sin, that's for them. I'm, look at me. I'm good. I go to church. I pray a lot. I give. I blow my horn at the box. They totally missed it. They totally missed it, which is why Jesus here is going to address them as he lands the plane. He's going to address the religious. To what then shall I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? They're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute for you and you didn't dance. And we sang a dirge and you didn't weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine. And you say, he has a demon. The son of man has come eating and drinking. And you say, look at him. He's a glutton and a drunkard. A friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. Jesus goes, okay, those of you in this crowd right now who are probably, they're probably the ones condemning John for his doubt. Because they can't, they can't handle anyone not being perfect, not looking good on the outside. He goes, man, what can I liken you all to? I know, a bunch of four-year-olds. That's not a compliment from Jesus, right? He's like, you're just childish. You don't even know what you want. Like, you're critics of John and critics of me. Like, you make no logical sense. Like, here comes John the Baptist, right? And, and he's not eating and drinking, and then you accuse him of having a demon. You're like, well, he can't call me out of my sin. And then I come, Jesus comes, and I'm eating and sitting, and you're t- calling me a, gl- a glutton and a drunkard. So you're not going to listen to my message either. So, okay, John comes not eating and drinking. You won't listen to him. I come eating and drinking. You won't listen to me. You're insane. What, what do you want? What, do you see what he's doing? He's like, you just like these systems that you set up, and you want everyone to follow what you want to do, and the second someone doesn't do what you've kind of fabricated as your system of belief, you get angry, and you just whine like a spoiled child. We're playing the flute for you, and you're not, you're not doing it too, and we're, we're singing a dirge, and you're not weeping with us. It's like Simon says. I mean, do you, do you see this? He's just going after him, going, listen, you don't even know what you want. And here, let me, let, me, let me help us understand underneath all of this, okay? Here's what Jesus is saying underneath all of this. Here's what he's really getting at. <laughs> if you accepted John as a prophet and went out in the wilderness, you have to accept me as the Messiah. Here's why. Many of the people at that time were agreeing and affirming that John the Baptist was a prophet. And hear me. What was John the Baptist saying? That Jesus was the Messiah. So he's going, hold on. You're going all the way out into the wilderness affirming by being there that you believe this guy was a prophet. That's why you listen to him. That's why you pay attention in the middle of the hot sun. Makes no other rational explanation for that. So, and he's saying that I'm the Messiah. And then I come say, telling you that I'm the Messiah. And you're going, no, he's not the Messiah. Do you see how insane that is? Like, you can't say, yeah, we accept John and his message, but not me and my ministry. Do you see what he's uncovering? Just the the confusing nature of unbelief. He's, He's revealing in their hearts, you really don't want any of this. Like, what you want is what'll make much of you. That's all you really want. 
You sit in the marketplace like these little kids, and you just want people to follow you and make much of you and follow your teachings and follow your laws. And, and yet you say you accept John as a prophet, but you don't agree with anything that he says? Because, listen, if they, if they accepted someone as a prophet, then anything that prophet said went. So it's not making any rational sense. These are the people, guys. Let's bring it into present day. Um, come to church hear the gospel, hear the good news of Jesus' saving work. You might even get baptized. But then all of a sudden, Jesus lays a claim over you that is much more forceful than John's, and you don't like it, and so you back out. Well, hold on a second. Oh, he's not going to be Lord of my life. He's now laying claim as Lord over me? Like, he calls the shots? Like, he tells me what to do? Like, he's the one on the throne? I'm not the one on the throne anymore? So, Do you see what's happening? Jesus' claims are much more heavier than John, much more weighty in the sense of salvation. And so now you got these guys going, oh, I don't think we accept John anymore. Because I don't like your claim. I I don't want you to be Lord of my life. They don't like his demands. And this is why Jesus says wisdom is justified by her children. In other words, he's saying those who are wise, those who aren't foolish like those kids, those who see me as good and saving and rescuing, it's going to be justified by what it produces. There are people in this generation that are going to believe my message and are going to be saved. People that are going to be grafted into the kingdom of God. And unlike the Pharisees and religious leaders who acted foolishly, that will justify itself as well. That will produce itself as well. But those who follow wisdom, the gospel of truth, and, and have true belief, that'll evidence itself. I, I want to just um, end here with just talking to three people, three different types of people, just as we finish. And I hope this even, you know, I think in this room we probably have the believing doubter, you're a Christian. And maybe you're wrestling with some doubts, good, healthy doubt. You believe, believe God has left you, God has abandoned you, God isn't for you. I don't know what it is, okay? Then you have the seeker-doubter, and you're, you're, you're not a Christian, but you're genuinely seeking truth. You're genuinely um, wanting to know what's true, wanting to know who Jesus is. And then there's the unbelieving-doubter. Okay, and I, I want to define that. You're not a Christian, and you think you're a seeker, but you're really not, because it doesn't matter what people lay before you, you don't like it. I just want to address you three as, as we close. Number one, the, the believing doubter, if that's you. If you're in here this morning, you're going, if your heart has been the last week, three weeks, five months, last year, if, if you're in this room going, God, are you, are you still there? God, have you left me? God, are you for me? Do you still see me as righteous? <laughs> Do you still see me as the sacrifice of your son? Am I still justified? Do what John did and approach the face of Christ and look at him and see him. Just see him and just hear him say, your doubts are okay. It's okay. Come to me. You're weary. You're heavy laden. I'm a high priest that sympathizes. I understand. And, and, and like Thomas, right? He has to look at the wounds on his hands. And then what does Jesus say? Okay, now believe, Thomas. 
maybe you need to hear him say, hey, I'm, I'm for you. I haven't left you. I'm here. Maybe, maybe he's saying to you, hey, I, I let joyful things and sorrowful things enter your life to detach your hands from the things of earth to attach your hands to me because this is the most precious place you can be and the most precious person you can have. I don't know what he's saying to you. But, but let him minister to you. Let him remind you of what's true. Listen, we're in a culture where we're driven by emotion. Can you say that? Like, like you, need to, you need to base what you believe is true not just on what you feel is true. But what truth says, what truth is, right? I mean, most people believe what, what, what they want to believe based on what they desire, not on what is true. Okay, so, so you gotta, you got to kind of whittle through that. But see Christ. Do what John did and take your doubts to Jesus. Maybe, maybe get around, get with an elder and just talk through him. Get with another member of the church. Say, hey, can we, can we discuss this? This is where I'm down again. What are some texts that give me rock-solid assurance here? Or just begin pursuing that and walk through that. Maybe it's you just humbly admitting that you've had unmet expectations. You've got personal circumstances that really stink, and it's affected your view of God. Maybe it's just admitting that humbly. Yeah, God, I've questioned you because of this in my life. It's not because of anything you've done or any ways that you've changed, it's just because of these external things. Um, if you're in here and you're the seeker doubter, you're not a Christian, you're genuinely seeking after Jesus, you gen- genuinely want to know truth. You're interested. You have integrity of thought. Um, same thing. Surprise. Take your thoughts to Jesus. Like Jesus either is who he says he is and then you can enjoy him or he isn't who he says he was and you can go no further. But at least have enough intellectual honesty to go after with as much vigor it takes to see if this isn't true, to see if it's really false. See if those claims don't hold up. And look at Jesus. Jesus is the defining, the, defi- the dividing line of human history. Like, listen, that's where you need to start. Not all these fringe apologetic places and canonicity and historical arguments. And You need to start with Jesus. Okay, get at him, look at him, see him, see what the, the scriptures plainly lay out for you, that God is holy, we are not, that we want to be on the throne, and he wants to put himself on the throne, because that's where he is, that's where he belongs, and we've all sinned, we're all broken, we're all fractured, and even though you know intrinsically you've been searching for life, searching for fixing, you're going to everything outside of him. We said last week, you can't raise to life that which was dead. You need a resurrection, okay? The Jesus who resurrected offers that life to you and offers fullness of life, fullness of joy. He, you enter into co-heirship with him. He grafts you into a new kingdom, a new family, perfect father, all righteous because of his son. You don't have to work for it. You don't earn it. You don't do anything. He just says, hey, trust in me. See me. You gotta, you gotta look at Jesus. And if that doesn't make sense to you, if that doesn't warm your heart, if that doesn't encourage your lost soul, then go somewhere else. But you're not going to find any other message that says that. There's no other savior in any belief system that is a substitute for you. No one else is going to stand in your place. No one else shows mercy like that. No other God shows love like that. No other God shows scandalous grace like that. The God of the scriptures does. So start with Jesus. Okay, start with him. Okay, and if you're in this room and you're an unbelieving doubter, I just have a question for you. Sincerely. And, and what I mean by this is you're the person who's not a Christian and you genuinely don't care what the answer is. Like it's never going to do it for you. Here's my just simple question for you. 
What are you after? What do you want? I mean that sincerely. I mean, even the God of the universe placing you here today, calling you to himself, showing you and revealing himself to you in the scriptures, through the truth. I mean, I could probably sit and lay out for you evidences of the historicity of the scriptures and why you can trust the Bible and why the teachings of Jesus are true. And I can, I can do whatever you need. And I'm pretty sure you still wouldn't believe. Because that's not what you really want. So what are you after? Because Jesus says something very interesting in Matthew 11, the same corresponding parallel passage. He goes, hey, in the middle of all this, hey, you guys who have ears to hear, let them hear. Maybe you just don't have ears to hear. You don't want to hear it. And, and maybe you're like, well, maybe you're like the religious guys, but you don't think you're religious, but you really are because whatever you place your faith in outside of Jesus is a system of belief. So you do have faith and you are religious. So whatever that is, whatever that thing is that you're kind of placing belief on, leaning on for security or whatever, maybe you're like them. You just jump from system to system to idea to idea. You don't really want answers. You just want whatever will tickle you and help you and make you feel good for a season. No lasting change. You've got to approach the face of Christ. You have to learn to doubt your doubts. You have to see the one who died for you. You know he died for your doubts. He went to a cross for you and paid, your, paid the price for you so that you could actually have assurance, so you could have certainty, so that you could believe in him and who he says that he is. You know, it, it can be a that can be a terrifying place to be. And I just don't want you there. I think, I think, I think I've told you, I, I talked to a, a young son who, or a young guy who was at a, a camp I was doing years ago at my old church, and he was reading the Da Vinci Code, and he told me that he was convinced Jesus wasn't who he said he was because he read the Da Vinci Code. Wow, awesome. So you're gonna believe a person and not God, but that's awesome. So, so here's, here's what I started asking him. I said, so let me just walk through this with you. And I just walked through a list of different things. I mean, because I knew this, I knew Matt. I knew him. And I knew that he was an unbelieving doubter. I knew that he just didn't care what was laid before him. He was just looking for excuses not to believe in Jesus because he didn't like Jesus' claim that he was Lord. He didn't like authority. He didn't see Jesus as a good authority who's a good master, who's a generous giver to his people. And all he had in his mind was an angry father who was abusive going, I don't want anyone above me. I want to run my own show. So we begin to discuss and dialogue about the gospel and how the gospel actually talks about a God who's a good master who frees us from sin. Yeah, he's Lord. Yeah, he's our authority, but you can trust him and he's, he's for you and he protects you and he, he wants you and he loves you and he demonstrates that and secures you by the act of his son and not by your own doing. And then you can enjoy him and walk with him. You know, regardless of the type of doubt, um, they all find their answers in Jesus like, you kill doubt by approaching the face of Christ. You have to start with him. Don't start with creation. Don't start with revelation. Don't start with, start with Jesus. Because if Jesus is who he says he is, everything fans out from there. Everything is made true from there. And here's the thing. Some of you maybe are saying, man, this truth of the gospel just seems too simplistic. It just seems too simple. The scriptures will say that it's saving. All right, let's pray. Let's ask him for help. God, I just, I'm just going to ask you to move this morning. I don't know. I, I can't do anything to change hearts. God, I can't make people believe or see your beauty. 
I can't make people understand the weight of sin and the light of your holiness. I, I don't even understand it in degrees and ways that I should. So God, would you be merciful to us in this moment? Would you visit us in this moment in a way that is specific to our hearts? God, would you help us whittle through the questions and thoughts and feelings that we have? God, would you comfort, would you just throw a blanket of comfort and encouragement over those who are here this morning who are in Christ, who love you but are struggling with faintness of heart, who like in Mark 9, like the man who has a boy who's sick, he says, help my unbelief, Lord. I do believe. I believe in what you say and who you are, but help my unbelief. If you're this morning and you're seeking after Jesus, I want to encourage you that, that maybe part of his answer to you is calling you here this morning, placing you here, wooing you to himself. If you're here and you're an unbelieving doubter, maybe the good question is, what are you after? Search your heart in there. Dig around. Just be honest with yourself. Don't be afraid. And consider what's keeping you from believing or entering into something that's true. And here's what the God of the universe says is that, that he has to give you that desire. So maybe your simple posture this morning is begging God that God, if you exist, God, if you're real, God, if Jesus is who he says he is, would you reveal that to me? Would you show me that? God, we're, we're thankful that we can worship you, that we can gather and enjoy you. God, as we take the Lord's Supper, as we enjoy your body that was broken, your blood that was shed, and remembering that, would you assure us in our faith, assure us in our belief, assure us in our understanding? In Jesus' name, amen.